Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this week we have another big one. It is Steve Diggle, co-founder of the legendary punk band, The Buzzcocks. I try to be really careful about throwing superlatives around all over the place. You know, great, legendary, iconic, whatever. But uh, I think that's justified here. I mean, when we're talking about the original British punk bands, it's Sex Pistols, Clash, Buzzcocks. I mean, that's kind of the holy trinity, isn't it? So if you don't know, which you should, the Buzzcocks put out three excellent albums in the latter part of the 70s. It included songs like this one right here, What Do I Get, Ever Fallen In Love, Autonomy, Orgasmatic, great, great stuff. They eventually break up around the beginning of the 80s. Pete Shelley, the other co-founder, he goes off and does some very good solo work. Steve does as well, and Steve's outfit throughout the 80s is called Flag of Convenience. They eventually get back together in the early 90s, and they've been together ever since, just on fire. You know, they continue to play, they continue to put out new music. The Buzzcocks put out an album about five years ago called The Way, which is really good, and Steve lets us know in here that they are absolutely currently working on new material. And he has continued to do solo material as well. And he says in here that he is currently recording in Abbey Road another solo album. So plenty more is coming from Steve Diggle and the Buzzcocks. We talk about how punk got started, how it influenced him. We have this really interesting conversation around uh, David Bowie's sort of awakening of male sexuality, what that was, what it is. Fascinating stuff. He talks about doing drugs with Noel Gallagher. It's just crazy. But, I mean, this is really one of a kind, a legend. Getting to hear firsthand about those early punk days from a guy like this, it is a rare and beautiful opportunity. I hope you will enjoy this. I loved it. Uh, He called me from his home in London. Starters, I got to tell you, I... The Buzzcocks were on the top of my wish list for bands that I would want to see live. You know, we all have those dream, those dream concerts we wish we could see, and um, will they ever happen? And I, you know, I'm a, I'm, I live in Denver, Colorado. I grew up in Salt Lake City. It's not like you guys were passing through those places up very often, you know. But thankfully, yeah. uh, three or four years ago, you came through on the Riot Fest tour. That's part- right. Yes. Yeah. And so I finally, finally got to see the Buzzcocks in all your glory. And then a year or two ago, you came back again on your own, uh, played the Summit Music Hall here in town. It was so great. I got to finally see the band that I had been jonesing to see for so, so, so many years. And it uh, it made me wonder, now, were you, that show, that famous concert at the Free Trade Hall in Manchester back in 1976, that's you know, this benchmark of people sort of learning about punk and their eyes becoming open. Were you at that show as well? Oh, yeah. You were? I mean, um, yeah, there was kind of two shows. There was uh, there was one show where we all met up um, as a band. Or we, got, we met each other there by kind of mistake, really. Because I was, uh, was going to form a band... And I phoned a guy and I said, I'll meet him. I'll meet this guy outside the free trade hall. Now, Pete Shelley was inside and um, they was expecting to meet somebody else. 
And Malcolm McLaren introduced me to Pete and Howard at the time, and uh, and um, and we kind of got on. So the people we were expecting to meet, um, but they were still outside, you know. Uh-huh. They're probably still there now. <laughs> They're probably still there now. <laughs> uh-huh. Four years later. Right. Oh, so we kind of got. So we so we kind of met each other at that one, and then we had about three weeks or something before the Sex Pistols were coming back to the free train hall. And that's where, within that three weeks or so, we rehearsed as a band and um, we opened up for them at that, that legendary show. You opened so the first one, there was, for, for the first one, there was only about 20 people there, and then the second one, it was full. No. All within weeks. And we, all the journalists came down to, uh, to review the Sex Pistols, really, because uh-huh. you had the... We started two days before the clash, apparently, but, we, you know, they was all in London. So the journalists came down to Manchester to review the Sex Pistols and were blown away that there was a um, a local band in Manchester, you know, doing that kind of punk thing, you know? Yeah, so yeah. That, that, so, you know, they reviewed us in the papers and they were kind of quite shocked because, you know, we got on there and assaulted their senses. They just thought it was going to be sex people. <laughs> right. So that was mind-blowing, and that kind of put us on the map, really. It's like, you know, there's a band from Manchester, yeah. um, and that freaks them out a bit. Yeah. That, incidentally, that put the provinces on the map as well. It was like you didn't all have to be based in London. Mm. It oh, was like, wow. Point. And that kind of kick-started the Manchester scene. It yeah. was like, well, we've got a local band here, the Buzzcocks, and there was other members... Of Joy Division and the Fall, they all went and started forming bands because they sold the buscocks at that free trade all gig, you know, many yeah. bands. Yeah, Morrissey um, was there. From I them, yeah. So, you know, with all that, I mean, it put the, um, later on there was a Liverpool scene, then a Scottish scene. Uh-huh. But it was just like them old 70s dance nightclubs, um, suddenly turned into like punk venues. Yeah. And each town became alive, you know. So yeah. it instantly. Inspired a lot of things, all that, you know, yeah. it's pretty amazing. It, uh, every town came alive and thought, fuck the fucking music that's happening right. now, let's have some of this, you know? Right, right. It was now, like, let's, you know, so it, it, that was like the the nuclear, the atom split in Manchester, yeah. I think, even more than London, because when the journalists reviewed that gig, that was like the beginning of uh, when they start writing about punk and going, wow, mm. there's a whole thing going on here. You know? Yeah. You know, I think when people, that story has become legendary, you know, June 4th, 1976, yeah. the Sex Pistols put on a show and it changes everyone's minds. And there's so many people in that room who go on to start major bands. What, um, yeah. you were familiar, you were already, I, maybe this is a dumb question, but I think the, I think the assumption is that the reason it was such an atomic bomb of a show is because people had never heard or seen anything like that. But was there, there had to have already been sort of a punk scene happening that was just sort of bubbling up. And it was maybe at that show where musicians felt empowered to continue down that road or that punk was a viable thing. What was the magic of what they were seeing? Well, the, the thing was, the landscape was barren, barren really. There was nothing really happening for quite a few years. Um, you had like a, a David Bowie and Roxy music scene, and that was sort of 
fading a little bit yeah. at that time. And yeah. um, and you had bands like Yes who had kind of done mm. the full course with the progressive stuff. Yeah. And it wasn't getting any further. It was kind of like they're singing about mushrooms in the sky. Well, there's a million people uh, coming up to be unemployed. Uh. And we're kind of like 19, 20 years old thinking... We want some excitement. Yeah. And I remember me personally thinking, you know, back in the 60s, uh, you know, when the Who started out, they'd smash the guitars and tell people to fuck off. You know? uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, of course, of course, you kind of like in Detroit, the Stooges and the MC5. So you kind of heard a bit about them and heard bits, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean... They're they're bigger now than they were at the time. Really. Oh, big time! Oh, yeah. Stoogies and MC5. <laughs> yes. Nobody particularly heard them, but you kind of heard, you kind of heard a bit, and you kind of, you know, you dug the attitude yeah. at the time, you know. Yeah, that's a um, attitude. You know, it wasn't about let's be show business. <laughs> yeah, it's completely opposite. So, yeah. Okay. So that was kind of inspiring, and 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 and, and uh, for me, for me personally, I just thought we need to get some short songs. And make the music direct, yeah. and let's create some excitement. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, I'd I'd see we we had a lucky TV station called um, Granada TV, mm-hmm. you know, and they had like little Richard live on in the studio there, sweating under the lights and oh. the bad black and white lights shining on his face. It looked magical, you know. Yeah. Oh, that uh, by them seventies, that kind of thing had sort of disappeared from. So, it you know, it was like let's create some excitement again. You know, yeah. let's make some great songs. Let's get some magic, and um, and question things. Question yeah. who we are, and what this and what music can kind of do to you know, can inspire mm-hmm. you know. You- so that was you know, I, I was thinking that. And, when I saw the pistols, it all made sense, you know. Yeah. Like, yes, we need to go down some of these kind of roads. Yeah. Now, you talk about going down some of these roads. I think the magic of the Buzzcocks, and you probably know this too, is that you brought a sort of poppier or hookier sensibility to that sort of music than a lot of the other bands were. It for You know, the magic of punk in so many ways is just that just feral aggression, you know, getting it all out. But bands like yours... Um, you know, and the Ramones were, were, had hooks as well, but you guys brought a sort of sensitivity, you know, a song like Ever Fallen In Love. that that many other punk bands were were putting out songs like that that had a sort of sensitivity to them and a, and a hookiness to them was that intentional or did that just is that just what came naturally it kind of came naturally came huh. from us who we are as people but but in a sense you, you know you're right we we knew we had tunes and um we was kind of singing about the human condition you know about yeah. you know your personal price and the whole thing you know um 
the whole thing of what you're going through. And, and speaking of people direct, you know, it wasn't just like the moon in June kind yeah. of stuff. Or, right. It was like, fuck, have you ever been through this yeah. situation or that? Or what do you think of this? We had the questions. We didn't have the answers. Yeah. We didn't need the answers. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> the answers were fucking immaterial. Right. <laughs> you right. Know, there's no answer to anything really, but you know, you've got to question and proposition things. Yeah. So, you know, we sang about what we know and who we were as humans, really. And um, and people, of course, could relate to that. Yeah. And also, we realised we could make a good tune, you know? Yeah. I mean, you say that song had fallen up, but they, they was all, too, you know, they, they're all, they've all, um, you know, got tunes and songs. Oh, really, absolutely. You know? That was just an example. And, yeah. And, and Yeah, yeah. And, um, but um, that's how... Um, you know, that's what we became. And and also, it's that old adage of like, you know, if you remember it tomorrow, then it must be a good song. Yeah, you know, right. Anybody knows that right songs, you can write a song. And if you forgot it the next day, or it, it ain't that good, really. You yeah, know I mean? good point. Yeah. You okay. know, so there was that kind of thing. But there was a naturalness between me and Pete when he wrote his songs or I wrote mine or we wrote some together, you know what I mean? Early on, I had a song called Fast Cars. I left the verses at home. And I've got some verses. So I had the music chorus, fast cards, and he put some verses in. There was also our second biggest thing over here, Promises. How can you ever let me down? How can you ever let me down? How can you ever let me down? These promises are made for us. Similar the music the chorus, and we're doing the demo. And I said, I'm looking first at home, I'll just scat sing for now. And as I was doing that, demoing with the rest of the band, he wrote some verses. Now, the only thing with that one that, with promises, it was going to be about promises of the government. And I said, fuck, your verses have made it into a fucking love song. <laughs> 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 but, you know, sometimes it works between us. Yeah. But uh, the intention was promises of the government and people in power, really. Yeah. But, um, that's how we wrote together sometimes like that. And other times, yeah, obviously, we write separately. And then, you know, I'd add riffs to things. Like, everybody's happy nowadays. Yeah. 
that song and I said, no, I, I can't hear the chords you're playing over there. I'll just play it. I'll come up with this riff. Uh-huh. And I came up with this great riff. Ding, 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 you know. Yes. And that kind of worked. So that's how we kind of worked together as okay. well. You know? Okay. Um, and of course, when I got to Armour in my head, I thought we've been on top of the props, a national TV pop show where we were. When I got Armour in my head, I was like, we need an aggressive one now. Yeah. So I tried to write Armour in my head in the, you know, to be put up there with Anarchy in the UK, you know, a real, yes. real stormer. So, you know, I switched to uh, that kind of mode for that song. Absolutely. That's what I mean. It's like you guys can't help yourselves. You, it comes so naturally. For, and you, I think especially, Steve, has a... You bring this... Um, I can pick out your songs so obviously because there's a different vibe. There's, there's Some of them have slight acoustic kind of flourishes. Pete seems to be a little bit more almost like punk aggressive more times out where you bring this little sort of subtler maybe sometimes even a softer and i don't i don't mean you know it's not a ballad but it's a yeah. there's just a little more acoustic you kind of tone it down just one step you know that seems to be sort of your thing mm. yeah you know i i try and get a bit of that melodic thing in and like you say sometimes like a might be slightly acoustic based because some of them were written on acoustic guitar oh, as well point. But, yeah you know you might pick up acoustic sound here. But I try and get that melodic beat, which probably comes from listening to the Beatles as a kid and mm. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the Kinks and people like that. Of course. So yeah. they always had tunes, but there was sometimes a little dreamy bit with this kind of Kinks song or sometimes yeah. the Beatles or all them classic 60s stuff, you know. Of course. Yeah, um, of course. So that's kind of there. And I like to keep the baton flowing on that as well, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got some songs where I can rock out, but I've got other ones where I try and make this a tune as well, you know. Yeah. Um, but sometimes we make the contrast. If Pete's singing a nice sweet tune, then I'll go with a heavy one, you know. <laughs> then, uh-huh. then it kind of complements each other, you know. Yeah. Rather than us both singing off the page, same page, you know, the same kind of thing. Yeah, understood. You've got to have a bit of con- contrast in it. Yeah. I mean, it's also stuff with that, like, I thought, we need a groove song. And funny enough, I was listening to Fingerprint File by the Rolling Stones. It's a great funky track from the <laughs> 70s. It's like the last on its only rock and roll album. Uh-huh. And I thought, we haven't, we haven't got a kind of funk album, because I grew up with kids playing, obviously, in the 60s. And that little funky groove he has, um, as well as the, you know, the bluesy 
pop kind uh-huh. of stuff to songs. And I thought when it, so I came up with the uh, the groove for why can't I talk to you, you know. from that song it was just on in my house I was playing the album and I thought you know so I always like to take it a different way as well sometimes like that there's other songs like Autonomy which is a bit more Germanic German trying to sing English can you know they're kind of crazy. <laughs> you know they're kind of going like you know I went home the sky or something you know and you're thinking this is weird so I pretended to be an English guy trying to be a German trying to sing English uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so, so I started singing like I I want you yeah. autonomy you know that's what that, that, oh nice okay I still song to get a Germanic feel to it, a yeah. bit of a crowd rock feel. Um, and that song on the first album became quite, ex- you know, it had this sure. experimental bit, particularly back in 1977, it had like this experimental bit to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it took okay. it somewhere else. So, yeah, it sure did. But, but I'm saying that's how I got to that one. Not every day you go, wake up in a classic is swimming around in your head out of, all of a sudden that's but, amazing um, i johnny marpix is top 10 for the enemy recently somebody sent me a little post of it and, um, he said when i heard that riff on autonomy he said when i heard that he said he knew that was the new riff of manchester Really? That was like Manchester changing, which was a great compliment and a no good insight. Kidding. I never thought about it that way, but 
But you've got to remember that, you know, uh, the Sex Pistols were doing Anarchy in the UK and the Clash were doing White Riot at the time and kind of linear songs, you know, more mm-hmm. Ramonesy sort of thing. Sure. And that one, that one suggested other things about the Buscocks, another dimension. Yeah. Which we did bring out with other album tracks, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And fiction romance and um, stuff so like that. Oh. Uh, set it in a different, you know, shown there was like more strings to our bow than just the one. Yeah, that's just the it. Linear pops. That's it. Yep. You had more, you had more, there were more la- layers to these songs than a lot of other punk bands were sort of infusing in their own music at the time. Um, yeah, you, th- you covered it. We covered a lot of ground. Yeah, um, but we exactly. also realized, we, like you were saying earlier, we were very different from the other ones. And we wanted to be. It wasn't a conscious thing. It was just like a lot of people simply screaming and shouting and finger pointing at something, you know. Yeah. Um, all there for the party, but the ones that had the the good songs survived. Like yeah. The Clash had great, great albums. No kidding. They all sure that did. kind of stuff. Yeah. And the buzz got, you know, after that initial explosion we were talking about, it was like a, every band had to suddenly uh, gain an identity, really, because it all came under the umbrella of punk. Yeah. But then it was like, well, who are these punk bands, you know? And so the Clash went off one way, you know, and the Buzzcocks went another way, you know what I mean? Yeah. We all be, we all became who we were, you know? Yeah. We all got our own identity out of the initial impact of it all, yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you about that, because yeah. that's, you know, you're, you're one of these bands where um, you've been around long enough that there's a blessing and a curse aspect to your career, because... Those first, especially the first two albums, I would say, but that first initial explosion, those first three albums of yours, are so seminal. And then you guys sort of break up and take the 80s off, come back in the 90s. And it's one of these unfortunate things where I personally love all of your albums, and I especially like some of those like All Set and Modern and those great ones you were putting out in the 90s. But you're one of these bands that has the has the curse of always being compared to the earlier stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, well, it's it's good, but it's not, it's not you know, it's not orgasmatic. It's not uh, boredom. It's not, does that ever rub you the wrong way, or do you even care? Are you just like, hey, we make great music, I don't care what people think about well, it. Well, you kind of think like, yes, you know, we did make orgasmatics and all, all those other songs, and it's like, well, now, like you say, we got back together, and it was like, well, let's do things how we are now. And when you listen to modern, that's a great album. It's it got a bit of electronics on it now, but it's like we, we're taking people on a journey somewhere else. Some things I want to talk about Take this world and knock it out To make you believe what it's all about Check this out for one. It's like, you know, I say, if I grew up with the Beatles, one minute it was like, please, please me. Then it was, you know, Rubber Soul, and then it was Sergeant Pepper. So, yeah. but you're right. People 
sometimes know you for one of a few things and then think like, oh, you know, it's not the same, you know, and yeah. it's like, well, it's not, you know, it's like Picasso when he, <laughs> you know, he did the blue period, then he, then he's doing cubism, you know, then he gets a, you know, a sheep's head and puts it on a bike, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I grew up with art, things, you know, it's not, it's not the same song every fucking time, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I but do. it's, you're right. You're kind of damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, mm, because it's point. like, oh, I was, I want it to be like the old Buzzcock songs, and then it's like, well, we can do that as well. But then some people might say, well, they're not doing any other kind of songs. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're yeah. not progressed anywhere. Yeah. But they were very powerful albums. It's true. And um, but I think that um, people are sort of realizing a bit the solid fans, mm-hmm. um, like. Like yourself saying that, you know, things like modern and even the last one, the way. anything in their own way, you know. Yeah, um, they are. It's, it's for, for, for what we are now. There's still great songs on all them. But you, when the whole world, world was focused on us and the spotlight was on us during that intense period of punk, then those early songs became more known than, yeah. than the later ones, you know. Mm. You know, everybody has their time in the spotlight. Then they go away and do the tours and make the albums. And, and people stay with it and follow it. And we have p- picked up a lot of new kids over the years that you know yeah. sort of um get grow into it but um but yeah i mean it is a bit of a dilemma but it, 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 it's um it's like well look you know we're trying this it's only yeah. an album we're doing this this time <laughs> and we try we try on the last album we tried to stay reasonably close to things from the past with a little twist to it you know? it was great you know yeah. we've tried to maintain that sort of trademark of postcards but yeah. also you know you've kind of got to um you know move it around a little bit as well you know yeah i do which we did in the early days like i say with things like why can't i touch it that's it's a million miles away from ever falling in love and harmony in my head but it's still a buzzcocks you know mm-hmm. yeah. you know or autonomy you know and like i say that blew people's minds on that first album autonomy because it's like wow not only got the pop ones they got these kind of songs so yeah it is a weird one yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, okay. Well, I just wondered if that ever yeah. rubs you the wrong way because, like I said, your music continues to be really great, and but it gets overshadowed by this, you know, the the not the blue period, but the like, you know, the ascent, the that core essential period that really knocked people's socks off, and um, mm. it's it's unfair, I think, you know, to sort of expect. See, 
it would be one thing if the Buzzcocks were not still putting out quality work, but you are. And so I just wondered if that ever kind of rubbed you the wrong way, that it's like, this is unfair. You know, we're still making great music. You guys need to get it together. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, it's like, you know, certain things are made at certain times in the world and the universe. And when them early records were made, that's where we were at. And yeah. That's the situation we was in. And that was the right ground for these things to grow, you know, yeah. to furrow that land and things will grow from it. And, and then suddenly, we, you know, when we started out, there was no mobile phones or computers mm, when, we, when we did our early songs. Um, and then the world's changed and people change and we kind of change as people. And you try and make music that adapts to kind of what you're doing now, really, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite Latter-day songs of you guys, well, it's, Specifically, I wanted to ask you about the All Set album because one of my favorite songs on that album is What Am I Supposed to Do? You make mistakes when you're 21 The suit's gone, control And by every time you make a move Somebody kicks you in the eye People talking about my life I don't want to hear it cause it's suicide What am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do now? You take so much of everyone What have you done? Just look to the sky Trying to change your life The world's just a place With an ugly face People talking about my life I don't want to hear it Cause it's suicide What am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do now? There was, you know, when you supposedly and you correct me if i'm wrong and i'm curious if there's a fun story here as well the, the green day were just getting really big and they're big fans of yours and i think yeah. you recorded that album in berkeley was it because you wanted to kind of get with some punk roots were they around did they entice you to come over there what's the story of all set and and uh, recording just, in berkeley it was simply i forget who it was now but we kind of Somebody had introduced us to the guy that produced that, Neil Smith. And um, I'm not sure whether he'd worked with Green Dairy. He'd done something with uh, some punk bands recently. And he was having some success over there. And I think he came to one of the shows when we was in America. And he said, I'd love to do an album with you guys. So that's how it kind of came about. Mm -hmm. And I think... Um, I'm not sure whether Miles Colvin was anything to do with it or not, but uh, he was sort of uh, on that old set album, sort of working okay. with EMI and stuff. So kind of came about like that. Now, he was based in Berkeley. And uh, he Miles said... Miles was? You know, Miles was, was based that, in that Berkeley? came about. No, sorry, Neil, Neil Smith. Oh, was Neil Smith was. Produced. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and um, he, he was based in Berkeley and said, look, you know... I'm working at the Fantasy Studios. Why don't you come over and do that? Mm. Well, we thought, why, you know, why not? And 
also he had that great thing, although I know there's some heavy stories behind it, of the, uh, you know, the Creedence Crew of War Revival. And that was yeah. like a great honour, really. A lot of them great records being made of fantasy and stuff. Yeah. So he had all that. And it's, I think when we finished the tour, we just stayed on and um, we did the old set album there. Okay. Incidentally, with that song, um, uh, what am I supposed to do now? Which I think lost its way really somehow. Pretty. Oh that, really? That's got a lot of people. Well, a lot of people like that song. What I'm saying, it should be no more than it than it mm. is really. Mm. Yeah. But also, also a little story about that time when we was um, when we was in Fantasy Studios, and I'd done on the demo like um, done the keyboards on it, you know, mm. and 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 he and he said. Uh, Neil, this guy producing, said, oh, I know Booker T. He's got an office upstairs. So, <laughs> you know, you see what's coming. And I said, look, if we can get Booker T to play, play the no order way. on this, that would be the fucking nuts. You know yes. what I mean? That would be brilliant. Yes. That'd be it. That'd be a great honour. So we went up to his office and he was in and um, we said, will you play on this track? And he said, yeah, he would, you know, uh-huh. he'll do it. So, I was kind of over the moon. And I had this other song as well, Back With You, that needed some keyboards. Yes. But um, anyway, we had the meeting with him, we'd see him around. And when it come to, when we laid down that track, where's where's Booker T? <laughs> Can't find him anywhere. Neil's phoning his wife. Oh, he's not been well. He's, I don't know where he is. <laughs> so in the end, he never he never appeared on it. Oh, no. We, no, I know we saw him every day. When it was time to come and raise the occasion, he wasn't there. Just, oh, no. I don't know what happened to him, but he, you know, he just went in his office every day and he was like, oh, we had to carry on. So in the end, we got Robert Cray's, um, oh, Robert Cray's keyboard player. He really? came in. Wow. And, I didn't know that. Uh, he, so he played on that. But I've got to say, on the other one, I had to show him what I do on the other one, and I, I ended up doing it, because it's like, listen, I, I've got the weird, weird, freaky thing about how it should be played. Uh-huh. You're, 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 a, you're maybe a bit too good to play this. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm going through it with him and thinking, I want you to play it like that. And he's going, well, you just played it. I can't play that, so why don't you do it? And I said, yeah, you may be right. Right, But right. he did do the... He did do... Robert Cray's... Um, Keyboard uh, player did uh, do the organ, if I remember, on okay. uh, on what my supposed to do now. Cool. But that was great. Okay. No Good. disrespect to him, but wouldn't it have been fucking cool if oh, uh, Booker T had done it? You know? <laughs> I was just thinking that same thing. <laughs> no offense to the Robert Gray oh. guy, but Booker T would have been well, a I fun story. Well, I'm so near and so far. Yeah. Know? Yeah. We all grew up with green onions and all the Booker T stuff. And yeah grew up with all that and I thought wow I can't believe it I just didn't expect it and then so that nearly happened <laughs> oh boy that's a bummer um okay so let's yeah. go you know so in the end of the 70s early 80s you guys break up what's at the heart of you guys breaking up is it a and a, you can tell me this is too sensitive if you want and we'll cut it out but is there some kind of a rift between you and Pete or is something else going on what brings about the 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 breakup no, no, it, it, it was like a, a classic thing, really. Like, suddenly the band took off, and for the first five years, we're together solid, you know. Yeah. We, we, we was one of the hardest touring bands at the time, which we loved, you know. We'd get on the road, do a month's tour, and then when you come off from that, you had to have a, a new single ready, and then it'd be the album, and then you'd be on tour. 
So it was constant, but um, but it was fantastic. You know, suddenly the heavens had opened and away you were in yeah. this rock and roll roller coaster thing. Sure. Um, so we were putting out a lot of records, and and we was um, we uh, um, on tour all the time. And then we started, you know, it took us about two years to get to America because we had about eight hits in the charts here and we was playing a lot of the theatres and playing around Europe. Mm -hmm. And um, we kept getting a call from America and eventually we started going there. Well, we had a ball there. I remember playing Santa Monica Civic, you know. Kids had been waiting two years and uh, it was fantastic. You know, we... we um, um, the first shows were at uh, the Irving Plaza, two nights there, with, um, and the Ramones came mm. the first night. And, um, you know, they they gone, we love you guys. I'm going, yeah. you know, we loved your first album. We, you know, we said that inspired us a lot as well. And, and they said, like, thing with you guys, you, you had them other bits, them angular bits, mm. and you took the song somewhere else. Yeah. Whereas they kind of just went on that one straight line yeah. You know, and every song was like that. Yeah. Albeit the great Ramon sound. Is exactly. It? But they loved us for having those other weird, you know, the other little uh, kind of musical directions yeah. in the song we, we we took. You know, we'd we'd have sort of weird discordant bits and other bits sure. in the song rather than straight ahead. So the Ramones weren't they listening loved to Can, that. and Buzzcocks were. You know, they weren't incorporating Krautrock into their songs like you guys were. No, no. no. Well, we, you know, I mean, I, you know, I was listening to Stockhouse and I've got box sets of Stockhouse. You know, I had everything. We was very open to noise and experimentation yeah. as much as the pop stuff. So those things were welded in. But it, yeah. it was never a conscious thing, any of it, really. It was just like bringing our influences and, and what we was listening to and what was around us, you know. Yeah. And us as people, you know. Okay. So we did New York, and then we did a few other shows on the way to LA, and we did Santa Monica Civic, and um, so it started getting a bit crazy then, you know. Yeah. It was like you know the drugs rolls around at the gigs, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But um, should you go to America and it's even bigger and better, and you've got to, <laughs> and you've got to rock out more in America. And that's what you kind of realise. Yeah. People said you, you've got to kick ass in America. Of course, we welcome that. We, we, you know, we were smashing the gear if you sure. like. <laughs> and and welcoming the American audiences because essentially, uh, when you see me live, I like to rock. You know, yeah, so you do. I like to rock out and kick some ass. So, um, America was ideal for us then. But then, you know, next minute, you know, I'd call Captain Beefheart and his band in my room at the Gramercy, and he turned us on to sense a million. Uh, weed at the time, you know, the sense uh -huh. of million stuff, uh -huh. Uh -huh. which we couldn't get in Britain. We were smoking other stuff, but um, so that came in and the cocaine, even yeah. more so. Yeah. We used to have mad tools, but we always delivered. But uh, I'm building up a picture now. It yeah. started getting a bit crazy on the Got road. It. it was it, it was like Hammer of the Gods, sex, drugs, rock and roll, sure. and girls. Yeah, yeah. Your uh, dreams um, had to be coming true. I mean, you, you wanted Man. to be a rock star, and it's just at its full force. Well, well, yeah, it's like you know, if it, if, you know, I remember when I was seventeen, trying to talk to some chick on a dance floor, trying to be intellectual about books, and that didn't work, you know. But yeah. it's, 
you know, th- three years later, I'm in a band and there's chicks throwing themselves at you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, this isn't so bad. You know, and, and the drugs are there and people are, you know, the audience is coming. And we're doing these amazing gigs, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it all got crazy in that full-on rock and roll thing, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It's like, at sure. that time, it was like, well, what's wrong with this? I'm in yeah. my early 20s. We're doing amazing gigs. The crowds are amazing. Um, the thing is, at some point with all this, is a classic story. You know, it starts to take its toll a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, mm-hmm. you well, you start to get burnt out a bit. You, you're yeah. you're on planes every day and you're traveling. I mean, it's still great and could still do, but it was. I think we started to when we got back to Manchester. At those points, you started to lose your way a little bit. Yeah. You, you know, you had to kind of rehabilitate yourself to go to the shop and realize who you are. You sure, know? sure, of course. It was like, fuck, we're just on the road and we're in studios. And so we needed a bit of time out, really. Yeah. And it got a bit heavy. Like I say, there was, you know, the drugs, the, the drink, the, you know, the whole thing. And it's like, you know, we'd used a lot of energy and a lot of power over that time. And um, I think we just needed to recoup. So okay. eventually the, kind of wheel came off the wagon really you know yeah it yeah. was just kind of like fuck we need to have a rest or figure out what we're doing you know what I mean? yeah and so that that's kind of what happened okay and we so basically just to cut it short we went into a studio to try and do an album Pete didn't have his songs together i had some songs on tape and and he went away with Martin Rush and the producer to get songs together and the drum machines had just come in by mm-hmm. 1980 and he did some demos on some drum machines up at the, in this studio and he'd made an electronic album really so yeah he sure that did kind of landmark uh, sealed it you know it was yeah. kind of like well, i want to do this now so it was like okay you know yep uh, okay i guess that's it yeah so Homo i went to my band. A classic yeah but it's so different than that. buzzcocks you know yeah yeah well he did that that was actually going to be a buzzcock song he played was it, it really Homo yeah, it was the only song he had. wow okay. yeah huh that would have been weird hearing it like that <laughs> no kidding oh my gosh <laughs> wow okay i would never have guessed Okay. No, but it, so 
But anyway, it turned out the way he did electronic and he did that. And I, I formed a band, Flag of Convenience, then. Yeah. So. I like doing that all through the 80s. Yeah. And uh, I was doing pretty well in Europe and all that. And just getting on with it all. And by the end of the 80s, um, um, well, when I was playing in Paris, a place called the Locomotive uh, Club, it holds about 2,000 people. It's next door to uh, near the Moulin Rouge oh, and all that. And uh, the Who had played there back in the day, all kinds of people, legendary sort of place. And um, but it was built as Buscock's FOC, and then right. after that I went to um, to Berlin, and it was we, we, I was built as Buscock's FOC there mm-hmm. as well. Only and even though we wasn't doing any Buscock songs, it was just like it's Steve Diggle from Buscock's, yeah. but it's Flag of Convenience. Mm-hmm. So really, that was kind of like the catalyst. Um, our old agent Ian Copeland was in Germany, and he said, "Oh, I thought I'd heard the Buscock's are back," and I said, "No." What it is, they build me in Europe as like Buzzcocks, mm-hmm. FOC, like mm. convenience, you know, just to kind of let people, people know, know where you were coming from. They yeah. dig up from the Buzzcocks, but it's yeah. like convenience. But I, I in, in the Paris one, it was amazing. Um, there were about 2,000 people there or something, it was sold out. And I played all these flag of convenience songs. Some of them, you know, a lot of them they'd never heard and they're singing yeah. along with the chorus. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I just didn't expect it, you know. Yeah. To be honest, I didn't think it'd be sold out or anything, really. That's great. I'm going, where are all these people coming from? Yeah. Because we got, I'd had a few drinks in the, they took us for a meal and we got heavily into the red wine. Uh-huh. Thinking, we'll do this show. And got to the venue and I'm like, I had to plop my head in cold water and think, fuck, there's two and a half thousand people out there. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not even going to do a Buzzcock song, you know. Yeah. Well, that was <laughs> going to be my... How's this? Yeah. How the fuck's this going to work? That's my question. But it so amazing. it did. So the eighties, you know, while you're focused on flags of flag of convenience, maybe it's not to the same, you know, global presence that Buzzcocks had, but you're carrying on very satisfyingly as flag of convenience and uh, playing good shows. I know you put out an album or two. There's some great stuff out there. Were you satisfied with where your where your career was going during that time, or was it a little? Was there sort of a longing to get back to the core? Well, what it was, it was like it seemed like the boat had gone too far out to sea. It left no. the shore and it wasn't coming back. Hmm. Occasionally, on the other occasion, if I run into Pete, I'd kind of say, Do you know what? People keep asking me, um, are we ever going to get back? And we're talking about six or seven years down the line. And yeah. he didn't seem that enthusiastic. And I was kind of like, well, I guess, you know what I mean? It's uh-huh. like, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd have an odd drink somewhere. We'd, we'd being a club like the Ascender and bump into each other. But, um, you know, um, 
it, 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 it wasn't like, hey, let's get back or anything. Yeah. But, but it was those gigs that I just told in Frank Cavini's shows, uh, what happened was Ian Copeland then phoned up, um, phoned us all up and said, you know, I'll believe you back. I said, you know, Ian, I told you we're not back. Yeah. But if you want to make calls to people, because um, you said you guys never did a farewell tour yeah, of America. You just, on, you just, we just kind of stopped. You yeah, know? yeah. So, so I said, you know, make the calls. We, he made the calls and um, he said, everybody's up for it. So yeah. I was like, well, okay, we all haven't been in a room for eight years. Um, and so let's, Let's go do a tour of America and and, and see what happens from that. There was yeah. nothing really planned. It was like, well, why not? Let's just all get in a room, you know, and and, and play the old classic Buscock songs. There you go. Yeah. To be honest, as it turned mm. out, there was a bar in that room. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> me and Pete spent a lot of the time drinking. Yeah. <laughs> and the other two... The bass player and drummer going, when they're coming in and we're coming in, we did a couple of songs um, over about a period of two or three days. Yeah. And then we got, then we got on a plane to America. And, uh, you know, the first gig, they all kind of came back naturally, the songs. Uh-huh. And the crowd were going berserk anyway, going crazy. So, well, we hadn't really rehearsed the set, but um, we, we was so kind of good or in tune with each other that yeah. we, we kind of knew it. Just went right back but the to important old habits. To me, it, it didn't seem a good start. The importance of me and drink, being Pete drinking for a few days, uh-huh. <laughs> but um, but that that was very good to bond us back because yeah. we were the kind of drinkers where we would see bars uh, after the rehearsals uh-huh. more than the other two. So yeah, <laughs> that right. kind of uh, understood. Um, okay, but that kind of that kind of cements our relationship a bit sure. as well, you know. Sure. Um, okay. And we can t- we could talk about things. So good. Um, so. So that's what kind of happened. So that's how we got back then, you know. Okay. Um, let me ask you, you mentioned Homo Sapien a minute ago, and it's such a great song, but it's also a very subversive song, which Pete has never shied away from that kind of stuff. Orgasmatic was a very subversive song. Um, I was, I'm curious, and again, t- you tell me if this is too sensitive of a topic, but um, Pete, I don't, was Pete openly gay when you guys were originally around in the 70s and if he was because i think and you correct me if i'm wrong i think howard is gay as well howard devoto was the, was the punk scene conducive to that kind of a thing or because it seems a little macho it does seem like it it opens itself up to outsiders like this is for the you know the people who maybe can't find a home anywhere else come to punk that's what we're about but it also had there's a masculinity there as well and i just wondered if that scene was open to if they felt safe being their being themselves in the late seventies in England as gay punk rockers. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Howard Devoe was. He wasn't gay, but oh, um, okay. Um, I, 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 Pete used to say he, he liked the best of both worlds. Yeah, right. So okay. you got to remember before all this, there was David Bowie. True. And um, I saw David Bowie on that Ziggy Stardust tour. And then they'd be grown men or grown teenagers coming out and kissing each other, guys, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I did it myself with my mates. She's like, fuck, we've been drinking for years. Now we're fucking having a little kiss with each other because of David Bowie, you know what I mean? <laughs> it just, it, it just, 
It was just like anything to freak anybody out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, you know, I'm not a gay guy, but it was like, if that'll wind somebody up, you know. Yeah. Particularly when you're 20 years old. Sure. But I, I remember them Bowie days, and you would remember it in America, guys probably did, well, I'll, I'll give you a kiss, because <laughs> David Bowie said it was all right. You know what I mean? <laughs> there was that kind, of, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So from... For me with that, I mean, Orgasmatic was inspired a bit by William Burroughs kind of writing, mm. you know. Well, you tried it just for once, found it all right for kicks. But now you find out that it's a habit that sticks and you're an orgasmatic. You're an orgasmatic. Sneaking in the back door with dirty might seem. So your mother wants to know what all the stains on your jeans. And you're an orgasmatic. You're an orgasmatic. But you're still keeping me there and you meet to pulp and you're an orgasmatic. You're an orgasmatic. You're a kikasanova, you're an ocho zap pizza. Live on a fucking yourself to death. Versity of that. And, and so it was that that gay side or the peak, little gay side flirtation with it. It was um it was like, well, let's bring anything to the party. Mm. Like I said, we sang about human condition. It was like, it's like Shakespeare, you know. He wrote tragedies, comedies, and all that kind sure. of stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Okay. And in uh, well, Twelfth Night, he's got two women dressed up as blokes. You know, I mean, that's pretty perverse. Good point. <laughs> Good point. Uh, yeah. So, but it, but it's, it's, to me, it was like, look, you know, this punk thing, you could do anything. Good. You can question the politics, question who you are, because... When the early fast records came out, you had to rethink your whole consciousness about what music was doing. It wasn't just simply sat there tapping your foot to a tune. It was like, fuck, this, these kind of songs are telling me something somewhere, you know? Yeah. And because it was all kind of new at that moment, like I say you had to rethink your whole consciousness about this, what this music does, and it's making me excited, and it's making me think in different ways and inspiring me to, to feel alive, you know? Yeah. Yeah, good point. So it was all that. So even that little gay thing, it was like, well, fucking bring that to the party as well, whatever. Yeah, Anything yeah. to wind anybody up. Great. Or bring some art, or open people's minds to things, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, it was, I think it was more the way he sang them, more about him being gay, really. Mm. I mean, I think he had a few things in them early days, but he's been married twice. Oh, has he? I mean, oh, I, I don't know. Him. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't. Sure. Know, I knew. I thought that. he was kind of bi, but I, I wasn't sure what the label was. And it, well, he well, he kind of was in the early days, but somewhere along the line, he kind of seemed way off. I think I mm. don't know what happened. Okay. Him. But okay. I told him, I said, "You're, a, I said, you're a fraud." People used to think you were gay, and now, <laughs> now you're married. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever <laughs> people, whatever makes you happy, you know, who cares? Absolutely. Whatever. I mean, that's yeah. a that's a little jokey thing, but it, but uh, yeah. at that time, but. Uh, but um, okay. so, you know, it, 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 at least all that was sending out a message like, look, you don't matter who you are or what you're doing, you know, this m music welcomes you in, you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, I do. So it was like, you know, we could question anything or bring anything uh, to the music and the art of the situation. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So, okay. so do it, so that. Okay. So tell me, I want to hear some fun stories. Um, you know, Manchester, coming up in Manchester, were you, um, 
you know, you mentioned Johnny Marr earlier. Did you guys, did you know Morrissey and Marr very well? Did you know, um, you know, I know Mick Hucknell was at that Sex Pistol show and uh, granted, Simply Red is a very different beast than a punk band, but uh, did you know these people? Were they friends of yours? Not particularly. What happened was, I mean, we started playing in Manchester at a place called the Electric Circus, which was a rundown cinema and uh, very dangerous to get to. It was like, it was like uh, the Bronx back in the early 70s. It was like going through the Bronx right. to get to this uh, place, the Electric Circus. It was kind of a bit dangerous. Big old cinema, you know, massive mm-hmm. old cinema. Um, and we used to play there a lot. And, and of course, we was the band in Manchester. You know, we was the, you know, Manchester and the band, the Buzzcocks. So these people that come to the gigs, people that went on to, to form bands like Mick Holton and, uh, and, uh, and people. And, um, and, and so, you know, that inspired them to do it. I mean, Morrissey used to be at the back of the hall taking notes. I think he had long hair and, <laughs> National health crisis and a big grey coat. Oh, not the Morrissey kind of And he'd be sitting at the back very shyly. And I, I would say he was probably sat there taking notes, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, because, um, I mean, we had those non gender lyrics. If you notice, there's not much mentioned about boys and girls in the songs. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's it's not much of that going on. So we had kind of what we'd call non-gender lyrics, where it's like it could relate to anybody, you know, yeah. a boy or a girl, it wasn't specifically. Okay. And, and then one time I was in town, and um, I was in Manchester, been out on a late night, actually ended up somewhere. And the next day I was I was in this clothes shop in Manchester, I think it was called X Clothes or Crazy Face or something. And this... This guy was following me around. Now, I had a bit of a hangover, uh-huh. and I was waiting for, I was waiting for my brother who was talking to the guy. This, and um, he's trying to help me by the. I said, I'm kind of okay. I'm just looking around. And he said, By the way, I'm going to form a, you know, I'm just forming a band. I said, Oh, really? And he said, Yeah, we're going to be called the Smiths. So uh-huh. I said, Yeah. Well, good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> You just never know who you're going to be talking you to. Know. You, know? you don't know. So that's how I first met Johnny. We're not really good mates, but re- reading his book, and I know Noel Gallagher very well. I'm his about Johnny in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, Buzzcocks inspired him a lot. It was like, you know, um, they're, uh, you know, a Manchester band in my town. And, um, you know, yeah. they had all these singles coming out, all these great singles and that. So, yeah. Um, I do know he, he was like a bit of a fan. And in fact, when they started, our early singles had two, uh, a lot of like just two colours. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the Smiths' singles were based on that because when mm-hmm. they signed to Rough Trade and we split up at that time, uh, our old manager was working at Rough Trade and they said, how did the Buzzcocks do it? So they took a lot of inspiration from the Buzzcocks. Okay, you know? okay. That's but great. having said that, they they made the great Smiths out of it as well. They yeah. took it in another direction. Yeah, but Johnny said, I took the distortion off and put the jungle on. That's true. Know? Very true. Yeah, you're right. Um, you know what I mean? In a way, it's a lot of parallels. So, sure. So, uh, there was, you know, you'd see a lot of the, lot of the uh, when you was out somewhere, you would start running into these, the other musicians, yeah. um, people in bands that, 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 uh, that sort of, 
went on after or was inspired yeah. by the Buzzcocks a bit. You, know? you mentioned uh, being friendly with Noel Gallagher. He's one of my very favorites as well. Such a funny guy. Tell me a mm-hmm. Noel story. Do you have yeah. one? I'm not sure, Alan. Uh, <laughs> so many stories. <laughs> I believe um, it. He, he, he's great at interviews, isn't he? He's fantastic. Yes, he's I the love best. funny story. Yeah. But, um, not really. I had a cigarette for years in my pocket. Um, okay. Um, we, we went... We set a Sex Pistols gig. We just played, and no, was backstage. I said, "Oh fucking hell, I'm in the field. I've run out of cigarettes." And he gave me a cigarette. And then a little joke. I kept saying, "Oh, I've got no Gallagher's cigarette," and that was in my pocket for about two years in this coat. You know? <laughs> and I said to a mate of mine, "You remember that cigarette No Gallagher gave me? Fuck, I haven't bought his coat for years, and I've just found it. I can't believe it." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not an amazing story, but um, no, that's I, great. I, I, I would put that up on my wall. You know, I'd probably, uh, you know, put a frame around it. This is Noel Gallagher. I don't know. I'm in the end, but I thought, you know, you know, what fans are like. It's like, look, fuck, if I said to someone this was Noel Gallagher's cigarette, that'd be a big deal. To a lot of <laughs> it would. <laughs> this was many years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. But it was in my pocket for about two years. That's great. Uh, that's great. In this coat, I didn't wear for a while, and I'm like, wow, well, you know, I put my hand, hand in it was like. In one of the top pockets of the car, I'm like, fuck, I still got that Noel Gallagher cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I but love um, it. I used to hang out with, in the early days, I remember going to these uh, CD9 clubs in um, in summer when Oasis was starting off. Uh-huh. And um, I used to go a lot of their back, uh, you know, after show parties, I'd turn up because, um, you know, being a Manchester band, and, and they'd be playing down the road from me. I've been living in London for years then and still am. And um, so there was, um, there was there was another time um, we was at this CD night club where you'd kind of knock on the door, a raster guy would open the door, you'd go upstairs, there's all ladies of the night there from Soho and Weird Waves and Strays. Mm-hmm. And I think I think all just I think Oasis had just done a gig. And me and him sat there with uh, a few other girls, our girlfriends and stuff, and. Um, I think we were both so out of it, we couldn't speak that much. <laughs> we were looking at each other a lot and talking a bit, but I think we were both flying on ecstasy and God knows what else and cold. Oh, <laughs> we were on everything. Yeah. And um, we had an amazing night, but we didn't speak much. You know, we sat very close opposite to yeah. each other, looking, nodding and all that. Um, but we didn't need to speak, you know what I mean? That's yeah. Oh, that's great. But, I love that. That is but, great. Um, that was a night out, and you know, somebody said, Oh, were you, was you with Noel Gallagher? I said, Yeah. Um, what are you talking about? And I said, You know, we didn't talk about much. <laughs> yeah. We so out of it. We, we just, just kept beaming at each yeah. other. <laughs> yeah, just kind of tripped around each other, you know, kind of on the same trip, the same plane. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, we was on the same plane, nodding with say, a few exactly. words here and there. there you go. But it was just like, Wow, you know. Yeah. And that went on all night at this club, you know, we got out there at six, seven in the morning or whatever. I used to go in that club a couple of times when Soho was Soho in London. And, yeah. Um, but also, Liam lives down the road from me, so I've had many oh. drinks with Liam Gallagher as well <laughs> recently. <laughs> he kind of moved about three or four years ago and he used to live in Hampstead and, and then, in, which is not too far from where I'm I get. And uh, I'm moved... You know, I've been here years, but um, he moved. So, you know, we he he phoned me up a few times, and we'd have huh. drinks in the afternoon and all that. That's amazing. So you live uh, in London. I live in London. I've been in London twenty-seven years now. Okay, yeah. great. Okay, oh, um, these are great stories. And, uh, 
But uh, but also with that story, so when I'm about 27 years ago, when I moved to London, I'm walking down the street. It's like a village high street. I'm walking down the street, and I'm thinking, that looks like Ray Davis. Oh. And all of a sudden, I've still got my Pink Pie singles, you know, um, uh-huh. uh, Tired of Waiting and all that. And, you know, you've really got me all this uh-huh. stuff. Uh-huh. And all that's, flood- all that's flooding through my mind. And uh, I'm thinking, I don't think that's Ray Davis. Anyway, I drink in a local pub there. And over the years now, I've met him in a million times in there. And um, and um, we got on really well. I, really? You know, so, yeah, so that is great. If you can imagine, sometimes in that pub, and it's a bit of a secret because we don't want people. It's a regular pub. We don't want people. Of course. You know, I mean, I've been there with Liam Gallagher and Ray Davis oh all gosh. drinking in the same pub. Oh yeah. my god! And Dave, and Dave on the other occasion as well. Oh, but um, but with Ray, I see him around a lot. You know, I mean, yeah. um, like every other day, I bump into him and stuff. And um, funny enough, the other. The other day, a black limousine sort of pulled up us on sort of in the high street, and the horns pressing. I thought, who the fuck's that pressing the horn? And the window came down. There's a guy in black shades, and it was Ray going, How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What so a I thought, life. I felt very honored. He stopped the limousine to, well, just to say hello. Just you to know? say hello to you. Seen, oh, my gosh. Say hello to me. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, cool. Well, Steve, this was great. I got one last question I want to ask you about. Uh, I want to know if there is a moment in a song. Now, you have you were so cool to give us like the stories behind so many of these songs. Give me, Tell me one of your songs that you are particularly proud of. There's a, there's a solo, there's a riff, there's a lyric, there's a something that you did that you're like, man, I really nailed that. And I should say for anyone, for my listeners... We didn't even get into much of your solo stuff. I really like, for instance, your Some Reality album. Just because your life ain't easy Makes you feel you want to be someone else Just because the world down on you Take it now and start to help yourself Just because going There's some great stuff on that. So pick anything from anywhere. Tell us a song that you are particularly proud of. Go out on that. Well, well yes, there's loads of moments. You know, there's either a riff or something, or there's whatever. There's certain things you like about singing stuff. But, uh, but uh, one of the great moments for me over the last, uh, number of years as we've been playing live a lot is um, when you take harmony in my head down and they all mm. sing along the crowd you know yeah and that is an amazing moment you know it's take it all down and all the crowd sing back and when you get to places like Scotland here in, in Britain and stuff and they all sing along because they're all there's various choirs of it you know yeah um, but they, and, and you think wow this is amazing when they're all singing it back to you you know that's incredible it's a magic moment it's it's something we didn't do in the early days because we delivered the message more. But uh, later on, with a bit of celebration to it all, um, hearing all the crowd sing harmony in my head in the middle, and and that happens all around the world in America and Europe and everywhere else. It's like wow, that's amazing, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of them things you just 
didn't think about when you're writing the sure, song, you know. Sure. And when the crowd is singing it back, there's this uh, communion and uh, unity, yeah. Yeah, great. That's yeah. great. Okay. So that's a great one. Okay. But yeah, we have, you know, I'm working on my new album, my last album, Inner Space Times. I'm I've got the box set, Wheels of Time, which you can get on uh, speeddiggle.uk.com. Perfect. And they've been shipped, they're shipped all around the world, but there's a whole body of work there. You know, I've got yes. some reality, serious, serious contender, which was me being Rocky getting an existential boxing ring of, of like, let's, you know, have, have a high album with yeah. that. And then I did Air Conditioning, which is like my political album the political inhalation we're breathing. Uh-huh. And then my last one was uh, an internal album, kind of like, you know, be your own president of your own body. You don't mm. have to look to all these politicians to keep telling you about life and stuff. Yeah. Let's take it away and be a bit weird. And I made this album in a space time, it's which so is a bit more in- internal. Yeah. But the idea was to, you know, the politicians ain't giving us the answers. No. Let's go internal and be weird. And, not have to rely on them yeah. and then and create a bit of mystery and think the people ain't listening to it. They're listening to themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> pull, pull the fucking platform away from so these true. leaders that aren't helping oh us gosh. anyway. You know no, what I mean? Not. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but the inner space times, that was my last one. I'm just, yep. the working, I mean, I'll be rolled at the moment. That's amazing. I've just done six songs and I'm going back in, in a week's time to do another four. That's great. And then uh, this new album, called uh, at the moment uh, provisionally it's called station x <laughs> oh and when do you think this is going to come out this will be out in january by the time it's done oh excellent because excellent. by the time you know it takes three months to press a final album these yeah, days true, true. when i did my last album i didn't realize how long it takes to press an album these days you know yeah but um you know even when you send a master tape and you have to wait three months for album to be done a lot of the times. It's you know, it's like I would rather have it up, you know, be pressed in a week, but right. it, it doesn't work like that now. Yeah. But uh, that will be out in January. And, Great. and this is a very old 
very up album and a little bit was cocky in its own right. Well, even if it's so, not, uh, I, uh, and this is, you know, for anyone listening who's less familiar with Steve's solo stuff, it is so good. And it, whether it's Buzzcocks sounding or not, it's worth your time because you have a qual a sound quality uh, that is so, it's really special. And so I'm really glad you mentioned all these, uh, all your solo albums. And you can say you can, you can yeah. get all those in a box set now. You can get them in a box set. You can get them individual. Excellent. If you go to com, then um, they'll be they're posted out within days. Perfect. You know they go oh, around the great. world. So, but that's but with all them, I, you know, I've seen people on the journey, and each album's different. Yeah. And on a whole journey, so yeah, yeah people like getting to that. And there are a lot of fans out there. They do go out to America, Russia, China, everywhere they go. That's amazing. Um, um, and that's the whole thing in itself. And I'm going to be doing some shows with that as well, you know. That's amazing. Um, because people Excellent. keep asking me. Good. But the, and here's a little stop press good news as well. Is um, we may be doing a new Buzzcocks album. Really? So in in a classic sense as well. It'll be a, a classic thing like them early albums. Um, so that's good. in its early stages, but. Um, Okay. There's a little, little bit of news about that, you know. There's yeah. a possibility we could be doing a new Buzzcock sound. Right. So um, there's some news as well. Good. Yeah. Well, you can't have enough Steve Diggle in your life. It, no, no, uh, no joke. It's all so oh. good. Oh no, yeah. I figured, like you know, I, I've come down. I've come this far. I still keep doing it, you know. Yeah. I I could I could take it easy in my life, but I realised I was I was kind of born to do this. Yeah. People out there, you know, the great people in the Holy Community Church of Rock and Roll. That's and, um, you know, um, we should be doing it. You know yeah, what I mean? you should. And we can still rock out. No There's kidding. There's not enough fucking good, not enough good bands about them. No. Mind, you know what I mean? Like I said, I just saw you guys a year or two here in Denver and it was incredible. So you've lost nothing. So mm. anyway, well, thank Cheers. you, Steve, Cheers. for talking with me. You're a legend. You mean a lot to me. I'm so grateful that you're still out there doing it. It's all so great. Thank you for talking to me. You're the best. There you have it, Steve Diggle. If you like punk, I don't know what more you could have asked for from that conversation. That was so good. And look, if you are unfamiliar with the Buzzcocks, which you shouldn't be, they have what is widely regarded as one of the greatest single-disc best of compilations ever and that's not just me saying that it's called singles going steady go out and buy that cd now and listen to that and if you like it go explore from there because it's all really good i want to close it out with my favorite steve diggle solo song this is called tragedy in market street and it's one of those uh flag of convenience tracks and in fact there's a really good foc compilation out there as well i heard it on spotify it's great uh, now, I mentioned before, uh, we might be doing a series of punk guests here. If we do, next week's guest is going to be another British punk, punk legend from around the same era, just as good as Steve. We may have to push it back a week because I am, again, waiting for confirmation on a very time-sensitive interview with a member of a band that is currently in the running or being considered to be a member of the next class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So one or the other, you're going to win next week because they're both going to be great, okay? Not sure which one it's going to be. 
And uh, we want to say a huge thank you to the OG, you to the OG, Aaron Syrett, for stepping in to produce again this week. I love what you do. Thank you, buddy, for your help. And you guys know the drill by now. You can find us on Facebook. You can like the page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at The Hustle Pod. Also, if you are in America, this week is Thanksgiving. That is my favorite holiday of the entire year. Food and family and football, that's all that I need in life. So I want to say thank you to all of you who support us and who give us, you know, the uh, the good vibes and the compliments and the critiques that make us, that kind of refuel our tank, make it feel like it's worth it to keep sticking it out and keep doing the podcast. Thank you to everybody who cares. We love you. Happy Thanksgiving, whether you're American or not. All right? We will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>